Welcome to the top M&A entrepreneurs. Today I have a guest is uh, John Taylor. I came across John Taylor probably two or three years ago. He had a book out called, well, he has a book out, go to LinkedIn. It's got a fantastic title, Maximize Your Multiple. And this is uh, really important because, you know, every investor says, hey, I, I, you know, you buy a company at 1x multiple, but if I grow the EBITDA, add some software, add some reoccurring revenue, I'm going to maximize my multiple. So welcome, John. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. So John works for a company called BGSA Holdings right now, and they do a lot of acquisitions or getting a company's investment advisory for supply chain. How did you, let's go all the way back and how you got involved in M&A. Sure. So um, I I graduated from the the Wharton School um, in Philadelphia, University of Pennsylvania as an undergrad. And I mean, so started off working merger and acquisition advisory with, um, you know, mostly tech companies in in kind of the late nineties is is when I graduated and, you know, got, you know, kind of got my feet wet doing, doing M&A deals, doing some capital raise type work. So, um, you know, mostly with middle market type businesses, right? So, you know, middle market, I mean, there's lots of ways to define middle market businesses, but typically, um, you know, kind of under, say a hundred million dollars in sales is, is where, you know, kind of most people look at middle market. Have you ever thought about buying one yourself? You're so involved in the acquisition process. I have. Yes. I mean, or even just investing in some of the the transactions that we work on, maybe, you know, just rolling some, some equity into a deal. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I have, I mean, you know, I I have invested in some, some small transactions in the past, but I mean, it's something I'd like to do more in the future for sure. Yeah. Do you, I got a question for you. Do you work on the seller side with a seller mandate or a private equity institutional or strategic target mandate? Say, Hey, I, these guys will say, here's my menu. Here's what I want. Go get it. Or you say, you know, develop a relationship with the seller and let me know. When yeah, you're t- t- typically, typically we're working with the seller. So yeah, that 90 plus, I mean, you know, we, we have worked on some buy side work in the past, but, you know, I, you know, we like working on the sell side. And so we're always trying to develop relationships with business owners and CEOs and people that might be looking to do a deal in the future. So yeah, we're, we're mostly working with uh, the seller. How do you reach out to them and stay top of mind awareness that John Taylor, BGSA is the company we want to sign with? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And something that, um, you know, we're, you know, we're always trying to think of, of better ways to do that, right? So I think it's mostly about just staying in front of people over a long period of time, because, you know, typically, I mean, if you look at privately held businesses, you know, on average, they might get sold every, say, you know, 20 plus years, right? Because, you know, a, a, you know, the typical trajectory is somebody, you know, starts off their career in a, in a corporation, usually a large corporation, they might go off and start a, a company mid-career, and they're usually building up that business over say 20, 30 years. And then they're looking to sell it around the time they might want to retire. So when they're kind of, you know, maybe uh, late fifties, sixties, you know, it's, it's funny. I run into business owners all the time that are, you know, kind of well into their sixties and seventies in some cases, and they're still not, you know, I'm like, Hey, you, you interested in considering a sale in the near future? And they're like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm not even thinking about it, which is kind of uh, funny this to meet people that, um, you know, are kind of at an age where you'd assume they'd want to, retire. But I, you know, I think a lot of these people, you know, it's a typical entrepreneur there. They like what they're doing. They're motivated by it. Um, you know, they don't necessarily want to retire. Right. I mean, they can kind of set whatever schedule they want because they're, they're the owner. So, um, 
But what's uh, the but, bucket yeah. that they get into? I, I, I got to figure out this. Like, is it you know you? It's easy to say, hey, uh, I want to work with that one seller. Goes like, well, look, I'm uh, I want the I, I, I'm the entrepreneur type, right? Serial entrepreneur. I want to sell that and then get the highest multiple. And then there's a the guy like you just mentioned, the 60 year old guy. Like, well, I'm not even thinking about it. And then it's uh, six months later, three months later, some life changing event, cancer diagnosis, or kid needs to go to college, or wife just says, "Hey, I'm tired. I'd like you home. Let's go travel." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. There's all those things, which is why keeping in touch with people is is the way to do it. Right. So. I think that, yeah, if, if there's, I mean, there's certain industries where we've done more transaction work than others. So getting to know the industry, going to the trade shows that that industry might host, um, you know, across the country, publishing research on on particular industries, or, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, sending people emails and, you know, calling them every, say, like, you know, six hey, checking months. In. How you doing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah ch- checking in with people, right? Yeah. So, so it's, it's all those things, Get, getting referrals, I mean, developing referral sources with attorneys and accountants. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's, you know, there's all different ways to, to find people, but I think it's all about um, yeah, just, just stay in front of people and, you know, eventually someone's going to do something. So is this very similar to like a real estate agent? They, they want to book the listing and say you get them under some kind of contract and you have them for what, six months or a year to, to find a buyer? Yeah, that, that's right. That, that's right. Yes. I mean, typically, um, yeah, you're looking to sign a contract and, 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 you know, kind of represent the seller in the deal and help them get the best terms overall and, you know, negotiate and find it, you know, negotiate a deal to the end. And so, yeah, I mean, typically you're looking at six to 12 months to get a deal done. I mean, and I mean, typically you're, yeah, you're looking at closer to nine to 12 months. I mean, really to, to get a deal closed from start to finish, because there's, you know, there's a couple months of preliminary work, um, the marketing takes a couple months and then, you know, and then even once you, you get a deal signed, I mean, you're looking at 90 plus days of diligence. Um, so, you know, it, yeah, you're talking about um, yeah, m- m- many months, you know, close to a year really to get a deal done. Yeah. How, how does like somebody want, it's like, if wants to come in your role and say, I love what you're doing there. How do you get paid if it's just based upon kind of, uh, you know, transaction? I got to find a buyer, I got a seller, or is it like real estate where, Dude, it's 100% commission. No, I mean, t- typically we're, we, we charge a, a, retain, a monthly retainer. So okay. we, we, we cover some expenses, right? I mean, most of our compensation comes as a success fee at the end, you know, similar to a realtor, right? But, you know, we do, there is a lot of work. I mean, it's, it's not like in real estate, you could just, you know, a realtor is just going to stick your house on multiple lists. I mean, obviously they'll, they'll take some pictures and, you know, I don't want to minimize the, you know, what, what they do, right? Because they do spend money to, hire a photographer, position your home. But, but I mean, really it's, um, there's a lot more investment that goes into selling a, a larger business because it's a very kind of proactive that there's no like, you know, comparable multiple list service in, in uh, the no, MMA no. world. Yeah. I mean, there, there are some sites that where you list like smaller businesses, but, but typically it's, it's a very exclusive type process where each buyer's qualified beforehand. Um, you have to develop, you know, very comprehensive marketing materials that have a lot of specific details that have to be included to, to answer all the questions a buyer's going to have. So, you know, it's uh, there's a lot more time and investment that goes into it than you know, marketing a house, right? So um, that that's why we, you know, ask for you know some type of retainer. You know, you usually, I mean, our retainers aren't big; they might be 
five to 10 grand a month uh, for six months or something like that. But um, yeah, most of our compensation comes in the form of a success fee at the end. When, when you say investment advisory, do you, let's say, take an example, a company, 60 year old guy comes up, it's time to sell. I've got a $7 million company, 1 million EBITDA, uh, which is pretty good, but he would get better if he did these few things, like just go acquire a couple companies. Do you also help them maximize their multiple on that? Well, we, we do. Yeah. I mean, in some instances, if, if there's some kind of, you know, no brainer type things that they could do to help better position the company, you know, because we've had clients where um, we were in early conversations with them and they, they lost a very large customer that was a, a big chunk of their sales or, um, you know, they, they had a, a large return from one of their customers or they, you know, they ran into some type of financial or customer issue, which, which, would make it very difficult to market the business, right? And we'll often say, hey, look, what we need to do is really focus on the business, focus on turning it around, focus on continuing to grow it. Um, and then, then you're, you'll be in a much better position to get a deal done. Because, it, it, you, know, you know, we try to be upfront with people and say, hey, look, given, given your current circumstances, this is where we think the, the, the market would pay for it. So if, if you're not happy with that, you're better off just waiting and, and turning things around and work, you know, working on the business before taking it to market. Yeah. I got to ask you about the top of your funnel. I mean, is this still kind of correct what you're talking about on page 43? I took all these notes on here, 514 buyers contacted 98 NDAs, 14 uh, uh, indications of interest, six presentations, two letters of intent. Yeah. I'd say that's kind of an ideal type process. I mean, typically, um, you know, a lot of those are going to be financial buyers, right? I mean, you know, oftentimes it's hard to find more than say like, you know, 50 to 100 qualified strategic buyers in, in most industries. So, um, you know, the majority of your buyers list is going to be financial guys, private equity firms, um, you know, because there's lots of those folks out there. I mean, there's been a real proliferation in, in private equity groups in the last what is it, like you know, 10, 10 years. Trillion dollars ready to go to work, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's a, it's a, it's a ton of money, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of money out there, and people looking to invest in the you know privately held businesses that have good growth potential and profitability and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's yeah, but I, I'd say that's very typical. I mean, we like to go to a large group of buyers, get as many bids as we can, and, and present the the owner or, or seller of the business with with as many options as possible. I, I used to work for Intuit. And so, you know, that's a lot of small businesses, but it was lar larger. Now, a lot of these guys just don't have their financials in order. What do you guys do for that? Do you bring an accountant in or a CPA in and kind of clean them up too also? No, good question. So oftentimes we recommend having a quality of earnings report done for the business. So quality, quality of earnings reports, you can get them from, you know, major regional type accounting firms offer quality of earnings reports. I mean, typically you're looking at, you know, 30, 40, 50 grand to, to have that done. And, and that they'll basically take the financial statements and it's, it's almost like a mini audit, right? Where they'll go in and say, Hey, these are the potential add backs to the business. Um, they'll look at the accruals on the balance sheet and just make sure that the uh, financials really reflect the, the true profitability of the company. So, so, yeah, I mean, we do recommend that. We, we, you know, we look at financials ourselves. We ask a lot of questions about the, the P&L, the balance sheet, to make sure that, um, you know, all the questions that a potential buyer is going to ask so that we know up front what, what any potential issues might be. Do these guys sign, you know, when they sign a document and they pay you to help them sell or is, 
right? You said the five to 10 K. I'm just curious about yes. that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And are these companies that they are looking for mostly private or some of them publicly traded? Like, you know, the kind of crap that was going on with the uh, OTC markets with the PCOAB, the 211C, uh, 15C? Yeah, I would say, I mean, most buyers we talk to are, yeah, private equity firms, are, they're looking to own. I mean, there are some private equity firms that, that take public companies private. I mean, you know, I mean, we, we've done a little bit of that work in the past, or at least I have with, you know, with other, you know, in other careers I've worked, worked in the past. But um, I mean, right now we're mostly focused on, you know, yeah, working with privately held businesses that are looking to have a, a buyer that's that's going to hold that company privately as well, whether it's private equity or strategic buyer. I guess there could be some publicly traded um, strategic buyers, right? So, so yeah, I mean, we, you could sell you could sell a private company to a public company. Yeah, I I, I used to do some capital raises in the OTC market, and it just with the fifteen C two eleven that came on, uh, it, it it just there's so many so much crap in the OTC market. That's what's curious about that. Most of them just go, hey, you know what? Save twenty thousand a year. You're paying to OTC markets. Just go private. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have any trading volume, and your share price is crappy. So just go private. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why did you guys focus on supply chain? You've got the supply chain index. Is that a huge trained trending uh, industry that it's got a lot of different niches? It is. I mean, it's obviously it's been in the news a lot lately, right? I mean, there's been a lot of issues around supply chain breakdowns. I mean, it's not necessarily the, the, the company's fault. I mean, some of the issues lie at the different manufacturing or raw material sources. But um, yes, yeah, supply chain, you know, trucking businesses that are trying to get products to market, you know, either to retail or manufacturers, you know, moving around raw materials and goods. So um, yeah, I mean it's it's an important aspect of the economy. It's it's a big part of the economy, but yeah, yeah. something that maybe doesn't get a whole lot of attention. Yeah, if I, Amazon's charging five percent, and Walmart's uh, paying their drivers one hundred five thousand dollars. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, the 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 what a what a trucker can earn these days has, has gone up significantly. You know, get just because of some of the constraints, it's it's hard to find qualified drivers, right? People that want to do. You know, there's all this news about how you know all these. Uh, Trucking's going to get automated, right? You're going to have robots driving trucks, and so it's not an industry that you know necessarily is you know seems like a good career prospect. But but look, I mean, obviously, truckers are a very important part of the economy. I mean, it's it's how you know most products get get to market and get get to retail shops these days. So um, you know they're a critical part of of the infrastructure, and and they're you know a lot of them are making very good money these days. What kind of niches in that industry are you looking for? to say, hey, I'm kind of looking for, you know, software technology that manages drivers and independent drivers or something like that. Yeah, all, all of the above. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's an industry that, um, you know, we, we've done a bunch of deals in the past. Um, you know, so, so, yeah, I mean, technology, certainly um, even, and then even more traditional uh, trucking, truck brokerage, you know, uh, you know, asset light type people that, that uh, don't own, the vehicles themselves, you know, maybe they're, they're brokering those types of services or people that own the equipment that's actually moving it around, uh, you know, so, so yeah, as well as the technology and, you know, there's lots of segments. There's, there's the, the trucking aspect. You've got uh, that, that move ocean freight, you've got air freight, right. Um, so there, there's lots of different segments. Yeah. 
Do you, what kind of license do you have to have to be an investment banker sitting where you're sitting? Sure. So, so we have securities licenses, so series 63, series uh, 79. I mean, those are, those are the main, you know, yeah. uh, state, um, you know, it used to be the series seven, but I guess the, the 79 has been become kind of replaced the, the seven for investment bankers and M&A advisors. You know, I'm really curious. I do a lot of work on LinkedIn and a lot of companies come to me saying, hey, I got this company doing this and uh, great. Uh, it, how do, you know, I need to find a home for it. Do you guys pay bird dogs or commission or set that up or what? Yeah, I mean, we, we've worked with people that that are looking to, you know, if they have potential buyers, I mean, we've worked with them in the past and, and you know, show give them, show them kind of different deals that we know are in market or, you know, yeah. clients that we're working with. So are you allowed so to yeah, say those, like the SEC or FINRA saying, no, you can't pay for dogs or, <laughs> or uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, typically if someone's out hunting for deals for a buyer, typically the buyer pays uh, them a fee to do that. Right. Typically they, they are on a contingent basis with a, with a buyer. So they'll get some, some small percentage of, of the deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll sometimes share deal flow with those folks if, if they know some good qualified buyers that perhaps we haven't connected with. Um, so yeah, I mean, those, those, those people can be very valuable. Yeah, this is, I mean, a great conversation. We're already uh, uh, 30 minutes into it. And I just want to appreciate your time. And if you guys happen to get, get on Amazon and get this book, uh, Maximize Your Multiple, this is everything you're talking about is just acquiring companies that help you increase your multiple to get a bigger payday. Yeah. John Taylor, I really appreciate the time here on Top M&A Entrepreneurs. Sure. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Take care.